0: Good morning welcome. You know the scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 5, known as the beginning, known as the Beatitudes. First part of the Sermon on the Mount. One of the biggest, uh, most significant things about Jesus' ministry. It was early in his ministry, obviously. He had, uh, I think, just had... Collected or assigned his disciples. It mentions them in the first verse or so. But early in his ministry, this has got very clear, down to earth, don't take a whole lot of commentary, don't take a whole lot of uh, explanation about how a Christian, he's actually drawing a picture of a Christian. What happens? I know the lost world may see this, and they'll say, well, if I want to be a Christian, or if I want to go to heaven, I have to do these things. But as Christians, we look back and say, no, that's not how you get saved. You're saved when you respond to Jesus' invitation, of its gift of grace. And then, these are the steps we go through becoming a Christian it shows us what a Christian acts like it shows us what to expect especially in the verses today today we're going to wrap up the first part here of the Beatitudes if you've got a Bible that has headings and stuff like that the next section in my Bible is called the Similitudes and Paul will get into that next week I'm going to briefly go over the, a few verses in the beginning and uh, we're going to end up looking at verses 11 and 12 verses 10, 11 and 12 are real similar you want to notice that when we read them uh, they talk about persecution I'm just going to read it straight out of the, the Bible here verse 1 says and seeing the multitudes <clears throat> he went up upon a mountain And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the peaceful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers... For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And then today, you know, verse 10 began, started talking about persecution. Verse 11 and 12 continue along that theme. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. And say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Paul has taught us how these steps, beginning with poor in spirit, when we realize our spiritual depravity, we realize we've really got nothing good to bring to God. Say, God, hey, look how good I am. Have mercy on me. We don't have that. So the very first step, To our salvation is responding to the to God's gift of grace with, yeah, I realize I've got nothing good, I cannot save myself, and then from that point it builds. It's kind of like it is definitely a progression. We realize our depravity, we mourn over that in verse four. As a result of receiving this gift, we are meek because it's a gift of grace. We grow, we hunger and thirst for righteousness as a result of the Holy Spirit working in our life. That's called sanctification. Another part of sanctification is verse 8. Uh, merciful. We give mercy because we receive mercy. That's in verse 7. And if you want to check James verse 2, I mean chapter 2, 13, the converse is also mentioned there. If we don't exhibit mercy, if we don't give mercy... you know we can't it's a sign that we have not received mercy verse 8 says we're the pure in heart God the Father accepts those who accept the Son and purity and repentance is our lifestyle Paul explained to us in verse 9 about peacemakers and the, the fact that peace is not just the absence of conflict I've heard that taught before as a kid it's not I've always heard it's not the absence of war. It actually means, you know, two parties. Well, there's nothing in here, so obvious, obviously we, we got peace. No, that's not true. Two parties get together and actually fellowship. They combine. They have a relationship. It's all good, not just neutral. So peacemakers, uh, they'll be called the sons of God because they're doing God's work. Verse 10 Talks, beginning talking about persecution persecuted for right living being different from the world that's a key theme that we're going to talk about in a little while this also is a sign or a proof not a way we don't get saved or we don't earn points by persecuting or by being obnoxious or whatever it's just uh, persecution comes from being different and is a proof of our conviction, our our conversion. Okay. Now we're going to start talking about in verse eleven and twelve. This is called the blessing nobody wants. Me and Roy was talking before the service. He brought he called attention to a scripture he'd found. I hadn't found it in this. He found it. Uh, but if you, I said once you start looking in the Bible. Uh, along a theme or an idea or after you've been taught about it, it's just you start noticing stuff. Like, uh, you know, when I, when my job was tires, every vehicle I went by, you know, I said, there's that kind of tire, there's that kind of tire. Uh, Zach, every time we go by a garage door, he says, I know that, I know that door. So once you get uh, accustomed to a thing or you're looking for a thing, you notice that. And what you're going to find about this theme of, Persecution is enormous. Not only, I mean, not only in the New Testament, it is, can you, just think for a second, we'll go off track. The first persecution for obeying God, do you remember that? What was it? The first one? We're going we to talk about Don't say that out loud. Okay, it's there work. In verse 11, something changes. Uh, in verse 11, Jesus concentrates his point of verse 10. He switches from broad generalities. If you'll notice, all the other verses say, Blessed are the merciful. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are uh, those in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, can you notice the difference in verse 11? It's completely different. Once the crowd has gathered, and once the disciples are in place, he starts teaching them. And in verse 11, he says, You, blessed are you. He's talking about specific people here, and the Bible don't tell us who. I think, because in verse 1 it says, he began to teach them, right after he mentions the disciples, I think he was talking about disciples. There probably were some people in this crowd. It calls it a multitude, a lot of people. Obviously, he was, you know, teaching to everybody. He knew they'd hear. I really believe he wanted people to change and to accept his teaching as a as Lord. Uh, But it's very pointed. It changes from somebody's going to do this. Some it's going to happen to somebody. To he's saying, it's going to happen to you. Uh, we know of his disciples, there was, how I many disciples? Twelve. And we know that at least one of them, we know one of them, according to the Bible, ended up being false. You know, he, his conversion was not true. He, uh, he wanted to do what he wanted to do instead of doing what Jesus wanted him to do. In verse 11, he elaborates not only does he concentrate the people he broadens the idea this is the last beatitude it is the longest it's the only one with a command that command is rejoice and it's the only one repeated he repeats it in, he start, says it in verse 10 he repeats it in verse 11 He's talking about persecution In the, I've got a new King James version And the word, uh, the key word there after blessed is revile. Now, in verse 10, he says persecute you. And Paul taught us about lots of different kinds of persecution. Uh, In small group, there's some questions that may lead us to talk about how you may have been persecuted, how you may have heard about other people persecuted. It kind of, uh, when he says revile, It it broadens that. It includes more things now. It's not just the way people treat you. It's things people say about you, about uh, the way they speak to you. Revile is a word of reproach in the Bible. These are some of the words that were used in a dictionary I found. is chide, insult, taunt, upbraid, and a really old one, I think this is a real literal translation. cast casting their teeth. Have you ever heard that? Probably not, because I'm so old. I remember when people used to read out of the old King James, when the, the two thieves on the cross, you know, one gospel tells about both of them, uh, you know, fussing at Jesus, save us, help us. You're not really the Lord. And then... One of them gets converted and says, you know, this is really the Son of God. In the Old King James Version, it says that they cast in his teeth. That's a weird term, ain't it? I don't know if it means they're talking to him like this, or I don't know if it means they fuss him out in his face or what. But that's, that's one of the more literal uh, translations. What would we say today? What what some words we would say today? We would say they was verbal abusing Jesus, Right? That's verbal abuse. Uh, we might say we got cussed out, or we got fussed at, or he's running me down. See, it's that idea, or just negative. It's all, it's all negative. There's nothing, nothing good in it, and it's used nine times in the New Testament. This word, revile. Some you might have heard before or recognized is in Mark chapter fifteen, verse thirty-two. I just mentioned, and in Matthew twenty-seven 40, forty-four, that's the mentions of the thieves on the cross. In Mark sixteen, verse forty-four, it's the risen Christ after his crucifixion, after he came up out of the grave. He was kind of fussing at the disciples. He was reviling them because they didn't believe he had risen. So this is a it's a negative word. Also in in Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty, it was Jesus. Scolding, he was, he was, you know, I hesitate to say pronouncing a curse, but he was actually just saying what's going to happen. He didn't curse them. He was saying what's going to happen as a result of what they did. They didn't believe. A couple cities, uh, might have been Chorazin and Bethsaida, I don't really remember. He said, woe to these cities, which means, you know, bad things. Not whoa like you're stopping a horse, but woe like you're experiencing something bad. Okay. These are times when people are just seeing how you live as a Christian, and they they persecute you with words. They criticize you. We just heard about somebody in our congregation at work that worked, say, "You know, I bet you went to church this week. You're so cool, and you spend a lot of time there." It's that's a very small. Uh, Reviling, but you see what I'm saying. It's words. It's, it's things people say because you're a Christian. Obviously, she did go to church. She, you know, didn't spend nine hours at church. But, uh, this is true. This is something that's, that's a fact. You did this. Uh, some people might make fun of you because you uh, you read your Bible at work or you you're kind to people. Why are you being so nice then? Or anything like that. See, that's true. Alright, the other side of that, he says when they speak falsely about you, they make up stuff. Now, that's just dirty, ain't it? Mm -hmm. That's just bad. But it happens just because we're Christians. Can you think of uh, scriptures where that happened? They made stuff up. It wasn't even true. One of them is in Acts chapter 6 verses 10 through 14 and this is when Stephen uh, was confronting some people and of course the leaders the leaders of the synagogue didn't like it or the city leaders didn't like it but they really, it's funny how these people were back then, the time were so primitive uh, they didn't even have cell phones but you know But they would stick to the law. You could easily. It looks like it would be really easy. Just to drag somebody behind the the manger. And beat the tar out of them or whatever. And maybe that went on. They had to stick to the law. They thought they were really being cool. And they hired these liars. To to falsely uh, witness against Stephen. They said yeah we saw him doing this bad stuff. And stuff like that. Uh, So they made it up. Another one. It was real similar is in Luke chapter six, verse seven. This is an occasion when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And, you know, Pharisees and Sadducees, of course, they didn't like that. And it was their law. The funny thing is, Jesus is God and He's the one the law is all about anyway, to show us that we that we need him. That is so ironic, ain't it, as we look back thousands of years later. What they did was another time when they got people to say, uh, you know, tell lies about Jesus. And Jesus had to deal with this all the time, every day. This is one of the things that when you when you start noticing it, or when you know about it, and you read about it in Scripture, you say, man, they they didn't mind lying, they didn't mind uh, making stuff up. They would just criticize people. Just for being different. Now that's weird, ain't it? Is it? Because we criticize people for being different. Uh, We really don't have to be all that radical. Now I'm sure we've all got pictures in our mind about radical Christians and, uh, you know, they go way overboard, it seems to us, in their delivery or their message and it just gets all confrontational it seems like they're looking for a confrontation, looking for an argument but we really don't have to be all that bold for people to to criticize have you ever heard the name David Green you know, recognize that name how about the, the title Passages do you remember that? Passages It's been on TV a lot lately. It's it's kind of like a museum. What about if I say Hobby Lobby? Mm -hmm. Have you heard of Hobby Lobby? Okay, how many people have been to Hobby Lobby? How many people just like to say Hobby Lobby? (laughs) 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 Really? David Green is the founder of Hobby Lobby. Passages is a big display. It's practically like a traveling museum. Palm Christie went to it. It was in Charlotte. It's got Bible artifacts. It's got old Bibles. It's got a whole history of, of biblical things. He has got a reputation as a huge businessman, David Green, of his business. I didn't, I didn't realize this of being founded and operated in a Christian way, moral stuff, you know, trying to be good and help people. And who's the other one we think of? Chick Fil A. Good old Chick Fil A. A long time ago, it was Dave Thomas at Wendy's. Remember that? He, he kind of had the, the reputation of being a Christian. I hesitate to say I think he was, but you know you really can't tell what, what a person, any person's heart. Hobby Lobby is big. They got stores in lots of states, multiple stores in some states. Okay, as a result of Obamacare, now I'm trying to get these details as close as possible, and I just read one website and one one thing. As a result of Obamacare, I think the the object was to get everybody's insurance as fair for everybody as possible, affordable, the better, health care, stuff like that. But part of that was you... A program of insurance that said you have to have this for everybody, and your company has to pay for it. It has very, very specific guidelines, and part of that was uh, what's described as emergency contraception. Now, I'm not a doctor; you may be more familiar with uh, the morning-after pill. We've heard of that, or I didn't know there was this one—the week-after pill. Okay, and trying to avoid technicalities. David, I mean, yeah, David Green, when he found out about this, he said, my company has to buy insurance that covers these medicines that could harm or kill a human embryo. And he, he believes in the sanctity of life, obviously. So he's, he didn't want to do that. So he kind of bucked the system and said, "I'm not going to do that." And then went through the whole process. You know, the lawyers say you got to do this. Well, no, I'm not going to do that. You got to do this, and come back later. You got to do this. No, I'm not going to do that. Time ran out, and it came to the point that he was faced. His company was faced with fines equaling one and three tenths million dollars a day for doing that. Big deal. Anyhow. I don't remember if this has been resolved. The point of the message is you don't really have to be radical. He was minding his own business. He was running his own company with his own money. And he was being uh, fined for doing what he believed was morally right. If we wanted, uh, if we wanted to put it simply, we would say just live for Jesus and people will will not like it all we got to do is be different if you uh, look in uh, John chapter 319 it says light exposes evil and people hate that if we do things that by contrast shows that they're doing something that's not good then people will, will take it bad Ephesians 8, I mean Ephesians 5, chapter 8 through 21 expounds on the light versus darkness. I'm just going to turn to that if I can find it right quick. Ephesians chapter 5 and read from verse 8 for a little while. This is a fairly long passage of Scripture. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's our key word there. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise... But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine. In which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. Don't sound like all that radical. Does it? All that confrontational. Just being nice to each other. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. But if we're different then it's kind of confrontational to some people. If people uh, can't criticize us honestly, you know, very often they'll make something up. Now, the key word that we see in this verse, one of the key words is falsely. And Paul taught us last week that we cannot be abusive, obnoxious, or offensive on purpose. Some people may be offended by us being a Christian, but that's just, uh, we can't do it on purpose. If we live godly lives, we'll have all the false accusations we can handle. So we shouldn't solicit it with ungodly behavior. And that's where another key phrase is, for my sake. It becomes pivotal in in this verse. The accusation must be false they got to make something up. If we're doing something bad, then we got to suffer for it. It must be false, and our motives must be Christ-like. you got to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, what's my motive? What's driving me to do this? Am I actually trying to witness to them, or am I just trying to pick a fight or make myself look good? Is it supported by Scripture? That's That might be the hugest thing we can say about this. Uh, the Bible is the only resource we have for everything scriptural. That is it. And some people say, what, what, what? what about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will never, 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 ever disagree with the Bible. If you if you have a feeling or that uh, you know you're, you need to do something or not doing something, oh, I'm just being led to do this. Well, if it disagrees with the Bible, then that's that's wrong. That's some other spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. Our traditions, uh, books we read, uh, fairy tales. Sorry, your mama the way she used to do, or whatever. Back a long time ago, well, we've had this tradition all this time, and she was so sweet and kind. If it's not scriptural, if our actions are not scriptural, you can't call it Christian. You cannot call it Christian. You might call it moral, but uh, don't don't call it Christian. Am I prom- am I promoting Jesus and His kingdom kingdom, or am I trying for attention? And the good old standby WWJD still fits. What would Jesus do in this situation? What's your attitude when you're doing it? What's my attitude? Am I caring or am I accusing? And remember, this falls in at the end of a specific message. It starts out building with our depravity. Okay, we realize we don't have anything to offer God. We build on that. You you can't leave out a step. We cannot break this progression. So... You know, that, that's another part. If we skip a step or our message becomes just another church program, you know, we've all seen that. People meaning well. Well, we can make people do this if we tell them this or we can entice people to come to church more or give more or act a certain way, support our church or support a, a, a group. I guess all of y'all have heard about our cool uh, alcohol referendum we just voted on. And it was defeated. But the thing is, you can't make people good. We cannot, even if we, even if we make them be good, or make them behave the way we want them to, that's not, that don't count when you're, uh, when you're trying to get to heaven, when you want to have a relationship with Jesus. We can't make people be good. Uh, Church programs are just too common and unscriptural very often. We have to stick with the progression. We have to stick with this uh, message. Let's just face it. The Bible is called the written word. Jesus was called the living word. He is perfection and his message and plan are faultless and foolproof. We can improve on his recipe for life here or in heaven. If I contaminate his instructions by stepping outside the guidelines, then I must bear the consequences. I deserve to be fussed at. I deserve to be made fun of. If I remain faithful to his word, though, he will take care of the outcome. Does anybody have you studied or you remember hearing where the word Christian originally came from? I'll, write, I'll tell you so you can write down the reference. Acts chapter 11 verse 26. It was actually the word Christian. The, the name Christian that we go by today started as an insult. They were, saying, they were saying, look at them little Christ. Or they are a member of the party of Christ. It says that the Christians was first called Christians in Antioch. Even that was an insult, supposedly. We've turned it around, uh, well, among ourselves. Some people still think it's an insult. In this group today, in today's world, Christ followers, in general, are looked down on. We're we're called ignorant. We're called narrow-minded. We're called Bible thumpers. They're looked down on Baptists they're another few notches down they're even worse to the world Bible believing Southern Baptists are considered the worst so that's that's where we're at, so we must be doing something right (coughs) That's, that's what I say okay, so Jesus is telling us If you do what I say, if you act in a Christian manner, you're going to be confronted by people that just don't like you. They don't like the way you act like a Christian. They're going to make stuff up about you. Uh, You're going to be persecuted. There's some things that you won't be included on. Some things that, you know, you just can't do. And there's people that... uh, that are going to be after you all the time because you're a Christian. He's telling them that early in his ministry. You know, the Jews and Matthew, the book of Matthew records stuff from a a Jewish perspective. Jesus was teaching mostly to Jews. and Even the word, the term kingdom of heaven, uh, Matthew used that term supposedly because that was a term that the Jews understood or, or were familiar with they was talk, he was talking to Jews so he was telling them all these things about how you're going to be treated how you're going to be persecuted and how you're going to be lied about as a Christian it sounds like a big wet blanket party to me don't you but what does he tell them in verse 12 how should we react to that rejoice Dance a jig. <laughs> Smile about it. Be happy that people are treating you this way. Now, that's just, that is, Paul used the word countercultural in our small group questions last week. Good grief. That's just the opposite, sounds to me like. If people's going to be mean to you, well, be happy about it. Don't go together. There are 19 words I found in a Bible dictionary. About uh, words for rejoice Words or forms of words uh, This one is Cario And it just means calmly happy Just kind of like you're, you're smiling Because you're happy on the inside So that's supposed to be our Our reaction to all this bad treatment And I look at this And I'm reading I'm Just picture yourself reading down through these beatitudes and read all this bad stuff you well obviously blessed you're blessed and that means happy too uh, but then in verse 12 it says rejoice and that will stop me right there how in the world am I supposed to rejoice and I, I, my first instinct is to place too much emphasis in the wrong place in the verse see rejoice that, that grabs my attention and every person will rejoice or be glad in a different way and to varying degrees about different things. It's really hard to, be, to rejoice when you're being treated bad, ain't it? I, I mean, I just, that is so opposite. And Paul's taught us a lot lately. I mean, if we are following the Bible, if we <clears throat> do what the Bible says, man... It is so opposite from everything the world teaches. The Bible teaches us to, to work and earn money and use it for ministry or give it away. And the, and the world says, work and save all your money and buy a bunch of stuff with it. That's just one of the things. Be happy when you're being persecuted. is very, very opposite of what, uh, what we would think to do. So that grabs my attention. I say, how can I rejoice? In all this bad, bad circumstances, then he says he mentions uh, the fact that the old Te- Old Testament prophets were persecuted too. Some of them, I'm not going to. I mean, practically every Old Testament character you can think of were persecuted. They they received trouble and uh, hard times for doing a couple of them, like uh, Abraham, he stood out. I looked through there, just trying to find something. Actually, Abraham, his big theme was being faithful, his faith. So, you know, actually, he got blessed a whole lot. I mean, I'm sure he was persecuted, and the Bible just don't talk about it. But Abraham, what? <laughs> I mean, as much. Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet, he was imprisoned. He's got a, a story about being put into a a pit with mud in it, no clothes. He just about died. They had to pull him out with a rope. Uh, David, he was hunted like a criminal by Saul, the guy he helped in his kingdom by killing Goliath. He was supposed to be a son-in-law. Well, Saul backed out on that. He was hunted like a criminal. Job, well, glory, Job, the king of persecution in the Bible. God says, just to Satan, how like my boy Job? He's doing good. Throws him to Satan. Good grief. Job was really persecuted. And Elijah, his life was threatened for confronting King Ahab's idolatry. He was just, King Ahab was just famous for being a bad king. And Elisha, it was Elijah's uh, disciple, I guess you could say. He was made fun of because he was bald. Just kidding. Nobody smiled. (laughs) (laughs) He was made fun of because he was bald. The story is, he was walking uh, out of town one day, and the kids come out and said, Go on, bald head, go up, bald head. That's what the Bible says. Let's made fun of because he's bald. Well, he either prayed or God took up for him, and some bears come out of the woods and eat the kids. Bad story. Actually, <laughs> actually, he probably shaved his head as a, a way of looking different because he, he was saying, This is my devotion to God. Uh, some people believe that. I'm just saying, persecution is all through the Bible. The one I talked about a while ago, the first one, you might think of it? Cain killed Abel just because. His sacrifice was better. Remember? They've come to offer a sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice was uh, an animal like God required. Cain's sacrifice was fruits or vegetables or something from the field. And man, they got in a fight and he killed him. Just because he was doing the right thing. And on and on it goes. And I'm sure the Bible does not record every persecution by every prophet, uh, of every prophet, but it's, it's really, literally, full of it. But when they had, these Old Testament people, when they had to confront sin, they were definitely in a tough place. They were outnumbered, and we're still outnumbered. We are a small minority. If you Google Christians, or you hear people talk about Christians in the media, in the paper, or whatever, on TV. That is an enormous, huge, vast number of people. And pretty much it, it boils down to people who are not Muslim and people who are not Jews. The, the rest of them are considered Christian, basically. But but we know from reading the Bible and getting taught so well that actually it's a, it's a hard issue. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a turning around. Everybody that says I'm a Christian is not a Christian. We're definitely outnumbered. In a sin-cursed world, God's people are always swimming upstream. Uh, this is a... I think this might be just the uh, list of disciples. I don't know. This is some names I know you'll recognize. And Roy brought up, when he was talking before, about martyrs, a few... And people are still getting martyred today. They're still getting killed for being Christian. Put in, put in the jail. Uh, they'll just. And Paul mentioned last week. They'll bust in your church and shoot you, torture you, kill your kids. Listen to this. Philip, Andrew, Peter, and Simon and Jude, Bible characters. They were all crucified. James and Paul were beheaded. Matthias was stoned, then beheaded. Thomas was speared to death. Matthew was slain with a sword. John, he was exiled. That means just put by himself on a... supposed to be an island, but it wasn't much bigger than a rock. Uh, he was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he died as a prisoner. Bartholomew was clubbed to death. Hmm. And James the less was stoned to death. So it's a theme that has... I mean, that's, that's, that's not just persecuted. That's literally martyred. That's rough stuff. Uh, so we see the rejoice in the beginning of the sense. We see for so... Persecuted the prophets. If you rejoice, you know you're persecuted. You'll be like the prophets. This is one part of the sentence. Let's see, it's on your left. This is one part of the sentence. This is the end of the sentence. Okay, like a sandwich. The meat's in the middle. So, the the big part of this sentence is, Great is our reward in heaven. Let's read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 17 and 18 now the Corinthians were known Corinth was known as a a real worldly place and Paul was writing to the Corinthians I think Paul wrote this and he was telling them about all the bad stuff. He was going to go through the bad stuff they went through. He was teaching them how to handle it. And listen to what he calls it. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are temporary. Are eternal. He's talking about the spiritual realm. He's saying, You're a spiritual person, I'm a spiritual person. We have to separate ourselves from these trials. He, he even, what did he call it? Uh, a life affliction. They were being stoned, they were being rejected, they were being fussed at. He called it a life aff- affliction. And he says, It's. Uh, for a moment. Now why does he say for a moment? Because in light of eternity, man, it's just a blip. If you think about forever, forever is a long time. I mean, I, that's the only way to say it. <laughs> as a matter of fact, it's outside of time. Eternity. We can't imagine that. He says, compared to eternity he- eternity in heaven, this is, this is small. Let's look at uh, also Hebrews chapter 11. You'll recognize this as a the list of people who were faithful he was talking about faith and in verses uh, let's read start reading verse 16 the people he's talking to are talking about this list I wrote it down Abel Enoch Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah. He gives this list. And he says these Old Testament characters were faithful because they wanted to be in heaven. They understood about how good heaven is. In verse 16 he says, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. All the, these people put up with all this persecution. Uh, Enoch, you know, he was famous for, being, for going to heaven without dying. Uh, this group of people, he said, they endured and they were faithful in the face of persecution just because they, they had an idea or had a small understanding about heaven. Now, getting as old as I am, you know, and uh, let's see, it's uh, I think it's this week—the one-year anniversary. Daddy died, died there in the home, in the house. Held his hand, he died. It uh, was with my mom when she died. And you think, well, what's going to happen when I die? I want to learn about heaven. And I wonder, uh, you know, if the Bible really is our our, uh, source of information, then I can go to the Bible and find out about heaven. Now, have you ever tried that? You don't get a whole lot. (laughs) It don't say a whole lot. And I was reading this book, this uh, real famous guy from England, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote about about heaven and kind of explained it a little bit why the bible this is a quote from the book it says it is so glorious and wonderful that our human language is of necessity almost bound to detract from its glory so you know anything we could say about heaven would be taken away from it weird huh I mean, that makes sense. I don't find that that teaching in the Bible, but I believe that because, see, we can't imagine how good heaven is. Uh, even purified by the Holy Spirit, our human minds are too corrupt and feeble to comprehend heaven. So, in my big wordy way of doing things, I just boil it down to say nothing bad, and nothing good. And uh, the thing about heaven is, I realize that what makes heaven, heaven is Jesus. The fact that Jesus is there. And again, I can't comprehend words like perfection. Can you? I mean, we say things like, uh, oh man, uh, I saw the perfect car. Or I just bought the perfect home. Well, my, yeah, it's cool. It's all good. And everything might be... You think it's perfect, but we as humans, we can't even understand perfection. Sharon made a pan of gravy. Man, it's so good. I think, man, this gravy is perfect. I love this. But I I really, you got to understand that you can't understand. Your mind cannot reach that far. We can't imagine perfection. We can't comprehend uh, perfection. Holiness. You ever thought about that? The thing about God that stands out about God—the big thing that makes Him God—is His holiness. I mean, it's kind of in line with perfection. Uh, We can't understand holiness. It means entirely different in a good way. We can say things are, you know, different from other things. Like we're, we're supposed to be a Christian, and that makes us different. That causes us to get persecuted. But holy, we can't imagine holiness. We're talking about it in the Bible. But not, not the kind of holiness that we'll experience in heaven. Or how about... We don't talk about eternity. Time is... Just, I mean, it's not really time. It's... Eternity. The way I see it is... God dwells in eternity even before He created our universe or our world or anything. So He allowed us to chop eternity up into days and hours and minutes and months and years and centuries... For our benefit, he's outside of eternity. We can't we can't understand eternity, uh, so I'm sure we don't understand about heaven. But that's that's our reward. That's why we have to have that as part of our perspective for being a Christian, for being uh, accepting or putting up with persecution, enduring persecution. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Are you still there in Hebrews? It's got a little bit about Jesus here. Let's look at Hebrews chapter chapter 12, verse 2. It says that even Jesus was willing to die like He did, so He could be in heaven. Let's see that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For us, Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven, what makes it so good, just being in the presence of Jesus. Well, Jesus Himself went through what He went through for us, faced with the prospect of getting back to heaven see we can't there's no way we can reason out or explain how good heaven is uh, but now since he done all that and he's drawn out all these parameters all these guidelines all this advice in the bible all this truth he's done all that because he wants us in heaven does that blow your mind it blows my mind completely I mean, I, I hear lots of people teach about it preach about it. and It sounds really cool, and you know, I agree. But I really, honestly, don't believe anybody can uh, can explain it good enough. So the meat of that verse is: you're going to be, you're going to have to rejoice calmly, happy in all this persecution because all these other people have already done it. They've shown you can do it. They, they remain faithful, the Old Testament and the, all the characters in the Bible, for the prospect of going to heaven. That's, that's the big deal. And I'm, some people may think that sounds selfish or, you know, you know I'm, I'm just doing this so I can go to heaven. But you've got to understand, that's, that's God's plan. So we can be Christ-like, show the world what Christians are like, and then go to heaven. That's what, that's what he wants. He wants to uh, have fellowship with us. That same guy, and this is a good book. I didn't realize it. This is a book that Paul got a lot of his uh, <clears throat> information about the Beatitudes too. But he, he saw it in my house and said, hey, that's the book I'm reading. Uh, I got it at the library. This Mr. Lloyd-Jones sums it up like this. It's three points. As Christians, we are just unlike all who are not Christians. And sometimes we see people and we say, you know, as a Christian, I'm not really all that different. I'm just, I'm cleaned up and I, I try to be good. You're not being a very good Christian. I'm not being a very good Christian if we say that. The thing about a Christian is we have to be entirely different. Our thoughts are different. Our guidance is different. Our destination is different. All these things. Point one, we are unlike all who are not Christians. And that brings persecution. Number two, as Christians, our life is dominated and controlled by Jesus, our Lord. And that is our reason for rejoicing. We can rejoice because Jesus is our Lord. No matter what. No matter what persecution we have to go through. No matter what bad times. He's got our back. And number three. As Christians, our lives should be controlled by thoughts of heaven and the world to come. That's not selfish. That's not uh, superficial to say I want to go to heaven. Heaven's a big deal. Eternity's a long time. That is our reward. Being in heaven with Jesus. Persecution's tough. I mean, uh, if you, if you uh, look at it on, on the web or anything, you'll see some really, really bad things. Even recently, people are, are killed. People are imprisoned. People are rejected by their families. I mean, it's, it's not just an Old Testament Bible thing. Actually, it's probably going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. The thing is, we've got to stay faithful. We've got to not be turned away or not give up because we're being persecuted. God gets glory out of it, and it grows us as Christians. Man to come and lead us in.